0: Hi there. I'm Jen Hale Christie, and you're listening to Preacher. This podcast is designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church, this podcast is for you. Welcome. This is Season 1, Episode 8, and our title today is The American Dream of Retirement. Our text comes from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. You guys know how fire is used, um, sometimes intentionally to create a burn boundary, and also it just naturally occurs to help native plant species, right? Um, It gets the stuff out that you didn't want, the stuff that wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. It gets rid of those things, those non-native species, so that the things that are supposed to be there can flourish and grow, the native plants. So my hope and my prayer for this sermon is that although it might burn like fire, it will help to get rid of the things that were never supposed to be here in the first place so that the fruit of God's spirit can grow and flourish in us. I want to talk about how we do retirement accounts in America. As we contribute to investment accounts like retirement accounts, mutual funds, what we're really doing is taking a little bit of our money and investing it in one or more other companies. And some of you might be really good at looking into those companies and making sure that they have practices and policies and values that align with yours. You make sure that they are ethical above board, engaged in practices that are environmentally responsible and promote global and social improvement. Some of you might research and know this about the companies before you invest. But my hunch is that most of you are like me. We don't actually know where our money goes. We leave that up to the financial advisors and the mutual fund managers. We don't really understand how this market works, so we leave it up to the professionals. All we know is that you put a little bit of money in an account, it gets mixed up with a bunch of other people's money, it's spread out across a whole bunch of different companies, and then what we get back is a certain percentage, 4%, 6%, maybe even 12% return on our investment if we're really lucky. So you put your money in the pot and hope for the best. And years later, when you pull your money out, it comes out with a whole lot more too, if you're lucky. The thing is, we're doing this, we are investing in that way so that one day we will get to a point in our lives, and we're betting on it. We'll get to a point of arrival where we get to just stop working and relax because work is hard. We're striving, we're toiling, we labor under the sun, and we do it all so that one day we can put down our work tools, step away from our computers, and just relax. One day we don't have to punch a clock anymore. One day, We don't have to get up early and put on the work clothes and go to the office and work at a job that we love or hate. We just don't have to do it anymore. We can do whatever we want with our time. And there's money in the bank. The checks keep coming and we don't have to work for them anymore. Now we're retired and we get to go on vacations endlessly. We can hang around the house, pick our hobbies back up, do all those things that we've been needing to do all these years, but never could do because Work took up so much of our time. Now we can finally do all these things we've been wanting to do. This is the American dream of retirement. I can't wait for it, right? But at what cost? The American dream of retirement. I wonder, I mean, this passage has me thinking that it might be broken. And I don't want to think that because I've been buying into it for plenty of years now. Dave and I both have been. You know, we have retirement accounts just like many of you, and we've all been taught that this is part of being a responsible adult. You start setting aside and investing in your future because we all want to get to a point where we don't have to work anymore, right? And on that day, we want to start making withdrawals from that account, that chunk of money where we put in a little bit every month and it grew based on the success of those businesses. Their success has been trickling down to us and How did they earn that money? Well, we don't really know. We don't really know what they were doing, what they were selling and promoting, who they might have helped or injured along the way. We have no idea. Dave and I actually sat down with a financial advisor um, a couple months ago and asked, this was for his um, retirement account with his company, his 401k, and we asked to see the holdings. And it was like eight point font, 40 pages front and back. I mean, it was insane how many companies, his 401k, like how how many different businesses Um, are represented by his portfolio you know it's like a a half a percent here you know one percent there I mean it's it's microscopic amounts that's going to all these different places when you think about what kind of money you know our part is in that but I mean there's just no way that we could sit down and research each of those companies and make sure that they are aligned but anyway so we don't really know what all these companies are doing but We're storing up now for later so that we don't have to work anymore someday so that one day we can have the good life so that we can eat, drink, and be merry because that's what we all want to do one day, right? But it's not like that for everyone, is it? I mean, this American dream of retirement doesn't work out like that for everyone, Some people still have to go on food stamps because the pension or the Medicare or the social security didn't work out the way they thought it would, or their retirement account took a big hit at the wrong time. So maybe we've been sold on this dream since we were young, but there's no guarantee that we're ever going to actually get there. But it's not just investment accounts that are problematic. You know, it's actually bigger. It's more pervasive. It's, it's pretty much the American economy. The whole system is riddled with exploitation. You know, think about it. Like, for a lot of us, we want to buy goods at the lowest price. That's that's the American way. And the lowest-priced goods don't typically have a made-in-America label. Usually, the cheapest items carry the price of people taking shortcuts to reap as much profit as possible or exploiting others by not paying them a fair wage or a fair price for their product. I mean, think about it. When you buy something that says fair trade, it's more expensive. That should make us think. So that's how a lot of these items are so much less expensive in America than in other first world nations. Have you ever heard someone say they don't want to give money to people who stand on street corners asking for help? The reason that I have heard and even said in the past is, you know, we don't know what they're going to do with the money. If we give them actual money, let's give them something else. Because if we give them a couple dollars, they might use it to buy cigarettes or alcohol or drugs. Oh, we can't give them that money because they might not use it wisely. They might use it in ways that that don't align with our values. We don't want to support or enable or participate in that. And yet... We contribute hundreds and thousands of dollars to these investment accounts that are funding business ventures that we know nothing about or very little about. We pay our hard-earned dollars to companies whose practices we aren't familiar with. We might be participating in modern-day slavery. We're almost certainly participating in exploitation, all because that's the way our retirement system works all because there's a certain standard of life that we want now and later. But about this rich man from the story, you know, I gotta admit, I kinda like this guy. His land is producing abundantly, so he's obviously doing something right. The harvest is so plentiful that he doesn't have room to store it all. His stuff-holding containers are awful. But he's a smart guy, and he comes up with a plan so that he can live off of what the land has produced for years to come. I mean, he sounds like a guy who knew where to put his assets to get his retirement account in a comfortable place. And it's not like he had some outrageous or reckless plan for what to do with his retirement income. He just wanted to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, who can fault him for that? But the thing is, he doesn't seem to be thinking about anybody but himself. When the land produced abundantly, he thinks only of himself and what he can do to maximize the benefits of this growth. Which is actually a very American thing to do. It's a strong, business-minded thing to do. But he's not considering anyone else. Not the people who toil in his fields and vineyards. Not the people who have to work to tear down those barns and build bigger ones for him. Probably the same slaves and servants and workers who have been harvesting in the scorching sun working overtime, double time to get this huge crop, right? And now he's going to make them work even harder to tear down the barns and build bigger barns. He's going to make them work harder, longer hours so that he doesn't have to work at all, so that he can sit back and relax. He's not thinking about the people that he gets the seeds from or who help bring water to the fields. I mean, how many people are actually involved in some way in... All the processes that lead to this one rich man having an abundance of crops. It really isn't all his work. But he's taking all the credit, he's taking all the profit, and he's leaving everybody else out in the cold. So it seems. It looks like he's riding on the back of a whole lot of people, acquiring this massive wealth and hanging everyone else out to dry. And I have a big problem with this. And I find myself saying with Jesus's disciples, surely not I, Lord. And I don't know whether my retirement account or your retirement account is doing something like this. I couldn't begin to quantify the impact of my spending or your spending, but there's a good chance that altogether, the whole system of the American marketplace and investments and retirement system, there's a good chance that all of this is building up our own wealth at the expense of others. I mean, this is how the American market has been successful for so long, right? We exploit others. Labor is cheaper outside of this country, so we outsource. And sometimes it's fine, and it's above board, and it's boosting the economy of that country, and that's great. But other times, more often maybe, it's actually more complicated than that. With labor laws and practices that would never fly in America... And with those, enabling cheaper prices on goods in America. I mean, do you ever wonder, for example, when you find, you know, a shirt for your kid on clearance at Old Navy and it costs like a dollar $2. I mean, do you ever wonder how could this even have been made for that amount of money? If you've ever like gone to a fabric store, you know, like the, how, how could they have that amount of fabric alone for that amount of money? How could they do that? let alone sell it for any amount of profit. I mean, how cheaply are these goods being made in terms of material and labor for them to be sold at such a low price in this country? We keep prices low here for ourselves at the expense of our brothers and sisters around the world who are toiling under the sun, who probably don't have retirement accounts and dreams of one day no longer working. Now, it's way more complicated than this. I am certain I am way oversimplifying, but my point is the way that our economic system is set up is exploitative. And I worry, I worry that we might be storing up for ourselves and building bigger barns and riding on the backs of others and then leaving them out in the cold without meaning to, probably without even realizing it. And I get to thinking about our own prosperity And what sort of prosperity, what level of lifestyle this secures, this way of getting the lowest prices for goods, this way of building up for retirement, laying up treasures on earth so that we won't have to work in the future. I wonder about that prosperity and whether there's a way that we could invest more creatively to ensure prosperity for more than just ourselves. I mean, this is crazy, okay? This is crazy and no one's going to do this, but... What if someone decided to design their own sort of retirement plan that started by saying, I'm going to work as long as I need to work. As long as I'm able, I'm going to keep working. And so they didn't plan to just stop working at a certain age that the system says you're allowed to stop working. Instead, they plan to keep contributing to society through work and other ways as long as they're able. And by the way... We know that continuing to contribute in meaningful ways will actually help you live longer. But what if instead of investing 10% of earnings in a retirement account in nameless companies who will grow that money for us, what if instead of that, we put just 5% in a retirement account and we're in that account, we're supporting only those socially responsible companies that we have totally vetted and that align with our values, right? Like we have totally checked out just these companies that we want to support that are making the world a better place. And we put 5% over there. And then we put 5% towards supporting others directly through microloans and economic projects in developing areas to do things that are going to make the world a better place, that are going to bring about God's peace, things that will usher in and announce God's community and God's reign on earth that God's community has indeed come near. And this sort of selfless giving is evidence of it. Because simply participating in the American marketplace like everyone else, I don't know how that announces anything. I don't know how that announces God's community. But it sure would make a bold statement. If instead of storing up for ourselves to ensure our own prosperity at the expense of others, if instead we look around and say hey, you know what? We're pretty prosperous right now, and we're going to be thoughtful and creative with that prosperity. We trust that we're going to live into a better tomorrow, and we are taking steps today to ensure that not only for ourselves, but for the rest of the world. And so we're not going to store all this up for a future that we don't even know whether it's coming for me personally. We don't know whether we'll live to retirement age When we store up for ourselves, we don't know whether we'll ever need that or get to use that money one day, but we know for sure that there are millions of people in this world who could use it right now. This money could be helping to prevent the spread of malaria, number one killer of kids under the age of five in Africa. It's $20 to purchase a long-lasting insecticide-treated bed net, which includes distributing it and educating communities on how to use it. This money could be feeding people who are dying every day of hunger. More than 800 million people worldwide are undernourished. For just $120, we could buy a goat, a sheep, or a pig for a family in a developing nation. $120, one time. That buys an animal for them that's going to help them. For $500, we could buy a heifer. And... You've probably heard about this, about different um, organizations who are doing this, but I mean, the gift of an animal is a long-term path to sustainability for these families. It provides nutrition and income, which leads to lives lives of dignity, self-reliance, health, and being able to afford school and medicine. This helps everyone. This money could be going to clean water that would literally save lives today. Because close to 800 million people don't have access to clean and safe water. In developing countries, as much as 80% of illnesses are linked to poor water and sanitation conditions. According to the World Health Organization, for every $1 invested in water and sanitation, there's an economic return of between $3 and $34. So that's, that's a pretty huge return on investment. But the return isn't for my prosperity. It's whole communities that prosper because of this investment. That, this prosperity, and this investment, it ripples outward. There are so many needs in our world. And I'm not talking about that much money. You know, our little 5% or 10% on an individual level, it's not going to end world hunger. But if enough of us join together, we can make a pretty big impact. And more importantly, the dollar amount isn't even the biggest part of this. It's the mindset. It's the heart set what it does to us and how it shapes us and draws us closer to the heart of God. I know I'm oversimplifying it, okay? We're all going to get creative in our own lives, and our own families, and our own communities with how we actually do something about this. And I'm not advocating that we give it all away and live on the streets. I'm saying that we need to examine ourselves, that I need to examine myself. We need to look carefully at what we do with the prosperity that we have. So we've talked a lot about not storing up treasures, but we can't miss the last part of that verse. Verse 21 says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. I really want to know what it looks like to be rich toward God, how to lean into the sufficiency of God. I think that's the key. It's a certain disposition and attitude. You know, it's like how we're aligned, how we're oriented, that as we are oriented in richness toward God, everything else falls into place. Being rich toward God, I don't think that means just giving money away or being a, a good Christian. It can mean some of those things, but that's not the whole picture. Fundamentally, I think it's about the way our hearts are oriented, that As we're open to God, as we are freely receiving God's grace, as we are being grateful continually for all that God has given us, as we are naming God's work in our lives and in our world and not claiming it for ourselves, that's being rich toward God. There's always more that we could be doing. And I want to be careful that we feel convicted rather than guilty. Do you remember that moment at the end of Schindler's List when he is overcome with emotion and guilt that he could have done more? I could have made more money, I didn't do enough, this car, why did I keep this car, ten people right there, this pin, two more people. There is so much need in the world, and such great danger of us falling into the trap of never enough, just like him. Deeply troubled that there was a little more we could have done, and there's always more that we could be doing. If we're not careful, that thought will paralyze us. It'll tempt us to throw up our hands and say, I can't do it all. There's too many needs out there. I don't know where to start, so I'm just not going to do anything at all. We need to listen to God. What is God's Spirit saying to us about this? In what ways am I uniquely prompted by God's Spirit to take action? If this system is broken, what's my responsibility in this? What's our responsibility? What I hear this passage saying is that those of us who are rich, who have a lot of possessions, we have to be rich toward God too. Feeling guilty about having a lot of stuff, that's not going to get us very far. And so we need to think creatively and deeply and holistically and spiritually about how we do that. And if we find that we are being greedy, that our hearts are growing cold or stingy, we have to be willing to change course and find ways in which we can open our hands and step into richness toward God. We might not want to hear this, but this is an important word for us. In the context that we live in, this is a word we have to hear, or else the consumerism and greed, the overconsumption and hoarding, it will consume us. And that is not the way of God's community. And my prayer is that this is a message that we keep working on us. As hard as it is to hear, that it would keep working to grind away our selfish impulses, our desire is like the rich man to keep it all for ourselves, to store and save and put away so that we don't have to worry about the future. My prayer is that it would reveal to us the ways in which our actions, our decisions are harming others and how we can instead see others, see the realities of the world around us and make small choices in our own lives to help make the world better. I have to say a word to those of you who are already retired or who are nearing retirement. To those for whom retirement isn't actually all easy life and vacation, I hear you. To those for whom retirement signals an opportunity to pursue a different purpose and passion and who look forward to serving our community on a more full-time basis, I hear you. To those who don't have the luxuries I'm describing today, luxuries like setting aside and saving up, I hear you. To those of you who don't fit neatly into any of these categories, I hear you. There's a word and a caution here for all of us. The caution here is against the kind of greed that only stores up for itself. The caution is against the kind of scarcity mentality that says there's only enough for me. The caution here is against the kind of consumption that turns a blind eye to the exploitation that provides cheap goods and labor. Friends, may we engage in our global economy with eyes wide open. May we resist being complicit with exploitation. May we pursue the prosperity of all the people of the earth. And may we take seriously the task of good stewardship not hoarding or wasting, but giving and sharing freely with open hands and open hearts. And in this way, may we be rich toward God. If today you find yourself on the outside, without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you're one who bears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or you're considered a religious or faith leader, may you extend God's yes to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you helps to shape the future of this podcast and this community. You can always email me at jenhalechristie@gmail.com, at gmail.com or connect on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn at jenhalechristie. Thank you to all who have already emailed, texted, and connected through social media. Please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It lets me know you're part of this community. You find value here, and it helps others discover it.